What is up, Baton Rouge, and welcome back to the Tiger Pride Podcast presented by 225 Magazine. I'm Mark Clements here, as always, with the one and only Jarrett Roser of TigerDetails.com. Coming to you for a Thanksgiving week edition of the podcast after LSU beats Rice 42-10. to 10. Uh, You could just say LSU crushed Rice, LSU dominated Rice, the Tigers killed the Owls. What are your... What? What's your stances on Tigers killing? Or just what's your stance on killing owls in general? I thought it was a great way to spend a Saturday night. For, but just the general idea of owl. Do you, how do you feel about the the bird? I think they're a regal creature uh, that mm-hmm. in real life should probably probably be taken care of. Um, occasionally mishaps occur, and they are wandering around the middle of a highway outside of Zachary, Louisiana. Uh, with with their head on much less of a swivel than you would suspect uh, you'd be led to believe. Um, and unfortunate things occur. Are you speaking from experience, or is this just like a, uh, a general a general concept? Uh, there may have been a night this fall where I participated in a drive that ended poorly for now. Mm. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. It was a scary moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably more so for the owl, but it... It was scary for me. <laughs> it, it was not an exciting moment for me either. Um, it, yeah, it was def. It was definitely a low of football season for me so far. Um, was it a worse domination of your car versus that owl, or these tigers versus the rice owls? I'll be honest with you. Saturday was pretty dominant. Don't think it holds a candle Oof. to what Draymond. <laughs> And and the owl, Draymond and the owl was uh, was a really unfortunate situation. I love that your car is called Draymond, and it. I don't know if I could pick a more famous basketball player that might just go nuts on an owl <laughs> out of the blue. Yeah, uh, but um, all right. So besides your animal cruelty, let's go to uh, the actual <laughs> the actual game. Uh, I mean, there's not a ton to talk about. I guess. I mean, we, you and I both said before the game that the one thing we were looking at for this game was just the LSU offense to show some signs of life after a few weeks of struggling, especially through the air. And um, I mean, I know Rice is one of 11. I, I tweeted something along the lines of this, I, I, that I know it's Rice, but it's still nice to see the LSU offense do what it's hey, you, you know, supposed to do. You were really excited. You were talking about them like they were the Saints or something. Who? LSU? You, yeah. I just really wanted to see Miles Brennan get in the game. Miles Brennan completed – you know, two thirds of his passes. That's pretty much Drew Brees he's, type numbers. He's the he's the. Do you, you see all some of those checkdowns? Oh, dude. oh, chill. The future of the LSU program is in good hands. But uh, Joe Burrow goes twenty of twenty eight for three hundred seven, two touchdowns. I mean, a pretty good pretty good day uh, from him. Uh, Steph Sullivan, a really nice touchdown catch. Foster Morrow, senior night gets involved, five catches, seventy three yards, um, and then of course Nick Brissett, the other. Big senior offensively, uh, finished with 14 carries for 69 yards, t and two touchdowns. Um, Such a child. I mean, it, uh, but just overall takeaway was that I guess it's just kind of the performance you wanted to see overall. Got get some young guys some playing time. Come away with a pretty easy win. They did break 40, which was one of our questions early on. They got 42, just like you said they would. I said 42. I nailed that. And if Rice would have just kicked the damn field goal instead of. Scoring a touchdown at the end, I would have I would have nailed it. Yep it it was I think exactly what you wanted to see from LSU. It was Rice who is not good at football this year, one of the worst teams 
in the country uh, amongst FBS teams. And what, what was more important, I thought, to me than the 552 yards, which was their second highest total for the season, was the efficiency of, you know, this first the first drives outside of the John Trey Kirkland Wildcat fumble, the first four drives all go touchdowns. Um, you have 12 yard, twelve plays for 79 yards, and then you have the the three-play 66-yard uh, kind of quick drive, um, and then 10 for 79, 10 for 88. And then even leading into the half, you have a, a nine-play 40-yard drive going until the half ends, and then you come back touchdown the lone punt of the game and then another touchdown and then you get the ball back and and the game ends Mm -hmm. and so for them to score touchdowns for them to score on that high percentage of their possessions and for them to cash them all in for touchdowns I thought was what you wanted to see knowing that yes it's rice but also knowing you haven't had a lot of confidence and positivity going on offense in the past three games and that this trip to Texas A&M on Thanksgiving weekend is going to be one that probably to pretty unfair degrees a lot of this season ends up hinging on, yeah. uh, or a lot of the perception of the season ends up hinging on the outcome there. And so to get some some of that positivity and confidence and uh, just efficiency going back was was big to make the most of an opportunity against a program like Rice. Yeah, and I think you said it best when you said just the confidence. I mean, I think it may sound silly, but sometimes just – getting into the act of punching those in and finding success doing that and especially with some of the ones that came through the air um i don't think they were necessarily red zones um but still just to have that success and just kind of get into the rhythm of of fat working and you mentioned the confidence i think that's huge going down the stretch the one thing that uh overall to me makes this game a complete and utter failure is it was our last chance to give devin white well last true chance for us to see devin white carry the football there was no devin white wildcat there's no devin white goal line and Devin's probably not going to be playing football in Baton Rouge next year, and Devin hasn't said that. Mm, don't don't do this to the people. Devin dances around it. Don't do this to the people. You know he's got another year of eligibility. Don't do this to him. Jamal will, Adams did the same thing. Will Devin White give the people with their point? <laughs> a, a fourth year in purple and gold? Uh, they might build him a statue the day he leaves if that's if that's the case. But um, I was hoping all week for the Devin White Wildcat. Coach O even hinted at something special. And in my preseason interview with Devin White, he said he's been begging the coaches for one carry, and he came. All to, he came to LSU as a running back yeah, before they a very good one before they moved him over uh, to to fill that linebacker position. I think it's probably for the best that no, it is. I just that he you know I just wanted to see it for. I mean, from one point, you heard O talk earlier in the season about. Yeah, everyone thinks it's a great idea to put Devin White in at running back until he goes in there and gets injured on the first play, yeah. and, and then everyone wants to know what the heck's going on. Also, I just don't know if I could have gotten a horse upstairs to record this uh, as promised. I would, have been, I, would have held, I would have held you to that, too. It, I mean, we would have had to maybe switch locations. <laughs> horses and stairs, not great. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the overall, um, overall takeaway. Uh, do you want to just – do a player of the game real quick. I mean, I'll, I'll go I'll go first, and I'm going to give it to Falsha Morrow because we haven't really had a chance to shine a bunch of light on him this year. And um, his biggest – biggest, I mean, is that his biggest day of his career possibly? Yes. Five catches, 73, and a touchdown. Both, both career highs. Um, so awesome for him on senior night to go out with a bang like that. 
Uh, and But not only that, he's been such a, a pivotal part of this team just as a leader and a guy that has, I mean, obviously the number 18 and just has said all the right things, has uh, truly had the right mindset throughout the entire year. And even when you talk to him in the preseason heading into the year, he had a lot of confidence in the team. And you could tell guys like him and Devin White and Nick Brissett, uh, Bruiser, Brumfield, all these dudes who have been around. Um, I think the leadership on this team has been exceptional and one of the biggest reasons they've been having some really good results that have probably been surprising to a lot of people. But, um, yeah, I'll give it to Foster. Yeah, it's a, it's a good call. I really – I was wondering with his involvement how much of that was making a conscious effort to get him involved on senior night. Mm-hmm. And how much of it was just really natural because they could afford against Rice to have him out running routes more than they could against most teams they've played this year. And I think probably more of that, honestly, but a little bit of a combination of the two. But it was was good to see Foster get that involved in the offense from a, uh, a receiving standpoint because as good of a weapon as he can be in that regard... He has had minimal opportunities to do so so mm-hmm. far this year. Uh, and so to, to pick another guy on offense, I think Joe Burrow had a great game. His 20 completions and 307 yards, both career highs. He ends up 20 for 28 with two touchdowns, 307 yards. Could have been better. Four or five drops by receivers. Yeah. Uh, Justin Jefferson uncharacteristically drops a pair of pretty short touchdowns, and uh, those numbers could have been much inflated had uh had he held on to to those and steph sullivan's 94 yards also a career high for for him uh so certainly worth mentioning that yeah um and then i'm gonna go defensively a guy that i think a lot of people were really excited about and have been wanting to see him shine and that's tyler shelvin and other guys may have lit up the stat sheet a little bit more but he's finally starting to kind of come into the into the swing of things i think he's dropped what 60 pounds, I think Coach O said, since he's been on campus, which was much needed. Still um, a big boy. Still <laughs> fairly. I think you said that before the game, and he is quite a large human when we're watching him in warm-ups. But um, four tackles and a, uh, a sack and a tackle for a loss. and just But, again, to finally get see him get into the swing of things, and he's going to be relied upon a lot more going forward these last two games with Fajoko out for the year. Um, so, yeah, good to see Shelvin get involved. And I'm I, – really curious and kind of excited to see if he continues to trend in that in that direction what what he could be as a nose tackle uh moving forward yeah i mean i think there were a lot of guys that had nice nights on defense there were uh tyler shelvin in the middle of that defense getting more opportunities at nose tackle um, patrick queen getting more reps on the outside at an outside linebacker position uh, mike divinity another nice game with seven tackles one and a half for loss Jacoby Stevens, seven tackles, uh, one for loss also. Same for Jacob Phillips. I'll go back to uh, Devin White. As I mean, we've, we talked about it a little bit last week. As good as he has been again this year, it seems like we've been that much more focused on Grant Delpit just being out of this world. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, last home game per you for Devin White uh, of, his, of his career – barring him coming back and and shocking the world. He ends up with nine total tackles, uh, a sack, a breakup, another quarterback hurry was all over the place and almost had a pick. Yeah. I'm very sh- close. Sure he would have 
like to haul that one in. And so there was a lot of discussion with him after the game of, hey, you know, it's it was senior night, but you came out there looking pretty lively and had a lot of energy, <laughs> kind of left it all out there. And he said, well, that's how he tries to play every week yeah. because he just appreciates the program so much and the opportunities that it's opened up. Devin was hysterical after the game, the way he danced around that. And then uh, he uh, he had one of the New Orleans TV guys ask him, you know, before the season there were all these expectations and – you guys have exceeded those. You know, a lot of people thought you might only win six games. And he said, uh, he said, he said, you you saw people write that, or you wrote that? Uh, and he said, well, I didn't, I didn't write that. And Devin said, okay, well, I'm just saying, a lot of people are gonna have to eat those words now, and I hope they taste disgusting. So he he was great on defense, even better post game. Awesome. How about uh, can we give a shout out to Jonathan Giles on his 15 yard punt return? Big career of true. Uh, Big I give true. I don't know his. I should have looked up by now his his Texas Tech uh, return stats, but definitely the longest punt return of his LSU, of his LSU yeah. career. He had more punt return yards on that one punt return than he had had in any game thus far this year. And they they have returned a staggeringly low number of punts at all. It's just been a lot of. A lot of kind of falling down fair catches, uh, but fifth, man, fifteen yards—that was exciting. It, well, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I feel like the entire season was just a setup for that moment. I knew something was going to trigger a, a tweet out of you whenever he caught that return. He almost—he was about a tackle away from from breaking it. He—I think he would have liked to do a little bit better with it. And I, I don't mean to just keep crap on the dude. It's just—it's uh, just funny to see how all the hype—none that he brought on, onto himself, but all the hype that was placed onto him coming from texas tech and then um just hasn't came to fruition in yeah it's in baton rouge it's gonna be interesting to me to see how much they keep this uh the way this is played out in their minds as they select future number sevens because Mm. they picked a guy that as great of a young man as he is and as good as he had looked in practice opportunities at this point he hadn't done anything on the field for lsu and it did not work out well and so I wonder, I, I mean, we saw about a week ago, uh, not to quote rap lyrics, about a week ago, Derek Stingley Jr. posted the picture of him in the, the seven jersey. And that's something that has legitimately been discussed as, as Stingley potentially coming wow. in as a number seven. And I wonder, with the way this has gone, if they're more hesitant to give that number to a guy that has not actually produced in a big way on Saturdays yet. I think not that it's going to always bite you in the butt, but I think that's a quick way to get that tradition uh, kind of nixed. If that, if you give away, you know, I don't know, three number sevens in a row to guys who, not their busts, but not not your Leonard Fournettes and Patrick Petersons, then you're it's going to be a tradition that dies off relatively quick. So I I would be hesitant to that, but if it's going to, I don't know, if it's a recruiting tool you want to use, then then go for it. LSU heads into the week um, against Texas A&M. They're seven and four with a lot of interesting dynamics in this game. Obviously, the biggest one, or one of the biggest ones, being the Jimbo Fisher um, and kind of Coach O. The weird dynamic of Jimbo almost having the job and not having the job, and then Coach O gets the job. And he talked about that this week in the in his Monday press conference. But um, his answer to that was very funny to me. 
his whole, you know, I, I was a defensive lineman. I wasn't always the first to get the date, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I had to work for it. It was really goofy. Here's that sound bite real quick uh, from, from Koto's Monday press conference. It don't matter. It doesn't matter I got here, man, you know. No, I'm a defensive lineman, you know. I was always the first one to get the date, you know what I'm saying? I had to work at it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just the way it was, you know, we got to compete. And I think things happen for a reason, you know what I mean? I think they all happen for a reason. And two years ago, we're going to play at a and We don't know what's going to happen, you know. Uh, two years ago, we got to uh, Texas A&M. Uh, Jimbo Fisher was getting the job. That was uh, Wednesday night. Then Thursday night, uh, Tom Herman was getting the job. Then Saturday, Ed Ogeron got it. So, you know, anything can happen. You just got to keep on competing. I'm glad I'm here. I thank God for this job. I think everything happened for a reason. I can see why they wanted Jimbo Fisher. He's an excellent coach. I can see why they wanted Tom Herman. He's an excellent coach. I understand that. And um, I don't know, man. Even the matchup itself, I don't particularly love on paper um LSU's passing struggles have been well documented um and they've been pretty reliant on the running game and Texas A&M leads the SEC and is second in the country in rush defense at 82.8 yards per game which is night and day from where they were the past few years with Kevin Sumlin and good old John Chavis running the show over there but they're 12th in the conference and uh, in pass defense, giving up 261 yards per game. So it's going to be, I don't know, man, just the, just the matchup seems to lend itself towards being in Texas A&M's favor, and they are actually favored in the game uh, by two points right now, uh, which is kind of bizarre considering they're a 7-4 and four team and LSU is a top-7 team, top-10 team. Uh, I think the line's kind of shifted a little bit because has it? It, opened, it opened at two in favor of A&M, and the public has just jumped all over mm. LSU, and so it's kind of even back out. Gotcha. But still they, they still interesting. Good, yeah, they do yeah. a good job stopping the run. They do a good job getting after quarterbacks, and they do a good job of getting off the field on third downs. Um, all three of which have been some of LSU's yeah. issues this year. Among the best in the country in all three categories for the Texas A&M defense. And their losses, they don't have – I mean, four losses, but none of them are really bad losses. They lost by two to Clemson. Um in their stadium, obviously one of the tougher places to play, not only in the conference but in the country. Um, lost to Alabama, but they scored in Alabama, for what that's worth. And then uh, back-to-back losses against Mississippi State and Auburn. Um, what they've really struggled with is they're one of the worst teams in the country in turnover margin. Mm-hmm. They have turned the ball over kind of the middle of the pack. Not, I mean, it's not a number with 16 giveaways that they would be – particularly excited about but it it hasn't been terrible there's certainly a lot of teams turning the ball over at um, far greater clips but they have really they've been among the worst in takeaways they only have eight takeaways on the season and so that combination to be negative in the turnover margin has bitten them in some close games and so I think that's that's a big positive to me with this matchup for LSU because LSU has been the exact opposite mm-hmm. and so in you know a holiday weekend game going out there i i think that that aspect bodes well with with just how good of a job lsu has done of taking the ball away and holding on to the ball and the flip side texas a&m uh quite the opposite yeah and they've got 
They got some playmakers offensively too. Um, I like Kellen Mond. Yeah, me too. He and Trayvon Williams is yeah. really good. Kellen was a guy coming out of high school that LSU offered, and I talked to a little bit back then, and was really intrigued by some of his ability. And then you, I mean, you saw it from his freshman year and some spots getting a little bit of opportunities and and making some plays. And he's had his ups and downs certainly, um, including some of those interceptions he's thrown this year, mm-hmm. but. Uh, the the ability and potential are certainly there to uh, to make some plays, particularly with the secondary still going to be somewhat banged up. It's not going to be as shorthanded as as it was this past week against Rice, but um, I, I think that if A and M is going to be trying to attack an LSU secondary, they'd rather be attacking this one with uh, with some guys missing or banged up than than a few weeks ago when they were a lot healthier yeah and you mentioned Kellen Mond he's their he's their second leading rusher with 347 yards and five scores he's a dude who can who can move and I mean we mentioned Travion Williams who was a guy who was one of the best backs in the SEC last year um, and then is back again already broken 1300 yards with 13 touchdowns and of course with Jimbo calling the plays you know he can get creative and um, find ways to put points on the board so it's going to be one of LSU's toughest tests of the year uh, on the defensive side and I think it's going to be really reliant on I mean you mentioned turnovers and Joe Burrow has been only four picks all year they've been pretty good about taking care of the football but they're going to they're going to have to rely on him I think a lot more and they're going to try to take away Nick Brissett and Clyde on the ground and really force LSU to, to make those passes and not only Joe Burrow making the passes but even at times against Rice who's obviously a much lesser opponent the passes were there and the receivers just straight up dropped them so it's going to be again a, one of the biggest tests and I just can't stress enough how different this defense looks from last year for Texas A&M and just how much better they are um, they were just so soft in the past few years and um, obviously Kevin Selman can recruit offensive dudes that was kind of his bread and butter so they have they have the talent there but this is going to be a, um, this is going to be a good test and this I just don't like the fact that LSU has beaten A and M every year they've been in the league. There's something that at you some, don't like that. At some point, the numbers game catches up to you, and like that streak's got to be broken. I guess unless you're LSU Bama, well, then that streak will just never end as long as Nick Saban's there. But I don't know. I just the numbers just got a bad feeling. I don't have a good feeling. I feel good. You feel good? Yeah. I feel, do, do, I feel do we want to go into, Do you want to go into predictions? We can. I mean, I, I do think LSU goes out there, takes care of business, finishes 10-2, and two, hits, again, what I kind of thought was the ceiling for this season mm-hmm. in terms of a regular season record, and probably ends up going to the Sugar Bowl. I mean, those dudes still somehow have a real a really, after not getting anything else uh, elsewhere going their way in the college football playoff rankings, they still have like a a super slim chance of slipping in some kind of yeah. way. It's it's super outside, though, after some other outcomes, again, did not go their way the last couple of weeks. But I think they still end up with a nice uh, January bowl and that you have to look at this season as a as a win. Um, I think, honestly, it's a successful season regardless of what happens Saturday. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's the way a lot of people are going to view it if they lose. Fortunately, I do think LSU goes out there, takes care of business. I will say that they win – 30 mm-hmm. to 24. Okay. I I don't feel good I don't feel good about it, but I I do think LSU gets the win. I think there's so much to play for and I think Coach Joe is going to stress that to these guys. And like I mentioned earlier with the leadership, a lot of these guys have been through kind of the 
I don't know if I'm going to call it like the low point, but a low war point, especially these seniors, um, these past couple of years with LSU. And I think they have kind of played with a chip on their shoulder almost, you know, the entire year. Like you mentioned, the Devin White quote earlier about everyone doubting them and that kind of thing. So I think they have, they know what's at stake here and they know that 10 wins is a big accomplishment and then you have time to prep for a bowl game. So I, I, I think it's going to be, I think LSU will win. I don't think they're going to come out lackadaisical or think that, you know, think because they have won five or whatever in a row against A&M that this is going to be a cakewalk or anything. I do think it's going to be a lot closer than LSU fans would like and going to be a typical, um, might take a few years off your life, kind of stress you out game towards the end. I think it'll be, um, I said 30. I was, I was, I'm going to say 31-28. I think it, we might see like a Cole Tracy situation at the end here again. Maybe not at the buzzer, but it might be one of those that a, a kick um, – a kick wins it for you in, in the last few minutes and maybe you have to make a defensive stop or something late. Um, That'd be fun. Wouldn't that be? Cole, Cole came out to media availability Saturday night after that game when he hadn't hit a field goal. He just made a bunch of extra points and a yeah. big win. But everyone loves that dude so much. He got the loudest ovation, I'm pretty sure, in Tiger Stadium on senior night. Yeah, he has been absolutely a fan and coach favorite. Um, you know, asked about it after the game whether he had made about as big of an impact as you could expect from a kicker. Uh, oh, just kind of grinned wide from ear to ear and talked about, yeah, you know, we like him. We're certainly <laughs> glad we have him and we want to, we wish he had more years here and we need to go get another guy just like him. Yeah. That'd be nice if they could get him one more year. Um, Tiger details. Yeah. What you got? It's, Good stuff. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's same at this, old, same old. This point, especially after that that Rice week and looking at this Thanksgiving week, we have a couple little recruiting updates of note. Uh, some people probably want to know what's up with a couple of these guys we're talking to this week. Uh, obviously, just getting ready for this A&M football game. A little bit of, a little bit of the same sort of uh, analysis and commentary. Um, I have by the time that this podcast is out, uh, will already be live on the site a column kind of talking about some of those dynamics of having already exceeded the expectations and, mm-hmm. and how much is being lumped onto this t- Texas A&M game, but how impressive a job really that, that team has done already, regardless of what happens there. Um, obviously the basketball team heads out to the Advocare tournament, which will be tipping off on Thanksgiving night. And we'll see how that goes there. <clears throat> They're 4-0 for the first time since 2012 and trying to push that farther. Uh, certainly, I think a lot of people would, would like to see them be successful against Charleston, a team that yeah. has frustrated LSU uh, recently. And then uh, if they can get past Charleston, then some other bigger programs await. And if they can go out there and have some success over that long weekend, I think that just continues to uh, to build that much stronger of a start for for coach will wade and company in uh in his second year at the helm yeah i want to touch on that real quick before we wrap it up just your thoughts on the basketball season so far this year um now you mentioned the advocate invitational which could be a big tournament i mean i know i don't think villanova's start has been quite what um what, the, what they've wanted i think they've dropped a couple games but uh there's still some big name programs that are in this tournament obviously memphis a team that lsu's seen already but oklahoma state uab florida state all teams LSU could potentially play, and I'm I'm excited to see they've kind of progressively gotten some bigger opponents as the year has gone on. And I'm you know before they head, you still have 
a little over a month before they another month and a half before conference play starts. But um, this team's been exciting to watch, and I, I'm really curious to see them. I would love to see them play like a, a Villanova caliber team. And I think that would be really a really nice test for them this early in the season. And they have, I mean, they've played some tough games. You saw that UNC Greensboro team. It, it's a good team, and Memphis is is always solid and they they have some guards in there now under penny that uh that are challenging just tough tough guys to deal with and lsu handled those uh those challenges well and i think some more await them this weekend but villanova even with uh i mean it not necessarily being the best villanova team that that we've seen in recent years is still an elite program mm-hmm. that that LSU and these young guys testing themselves against early, I think, uh, would be a nice kind of litmus test and, and a learning experience for them, win or lose, uh, moving forward into the season. Yeah, and if for some reason you're not on the Will Wade or basketball train yet, just watch this team, especially this year, while you have a guy like Nas Reed on campus who's going to be uh, – he won't be here next year. Him and Devin White will be making a lot of money. Not together, but – Oh, man. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were calling – the real curveball. <laughs> Nasri, the best tight end football's ever seen. Um, but he's just a. I always use the word freak, and you made fun of me for it. But he is a he is a freak. He just a guy that's six ten, two fifty. Should not have the handles he has, and should not be able to shoot three. I mean, he's he was breaking dudes' ankles and little step backs, and then drilling threes like it's nothing. And it's just unbelievable. This team's so fun to watch playing great basketball. So uh, keep an eye on them while you're eating some Thanksgiving turkey. What's the best side? I think this is a good a good debate to close it out. What's your favorite Thanksgiving side? I mean, we were just talking about this. This really fits more here than anywhere else in the country. But I texted my mom to make sure gumbo is going to be around. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, buddy Nick, downtown Crawley Brown, uh called his mom uh talking about visiting from portland and made sure hey is there going to be gumbo and she said oh i don't know like it takes a lot he said well look if there's not gumbo i'm probably not coming so we we always look forward to when it gets a little bit cooler in louisiana getting a little gumbo um and and then another just personal favorite my dad makes some pretty killer pecan pie so if i can go venture over to his neck of the woods for that at some point i i usually uh, appreciate that as not so much a side but a dessert yeah is it lame to say like a a good sister schubert roll i i could eat a whole bag of those things by myself and not blink twice <laughs> things are unbelievable <laughs> and the, i really like just picturing you and your your flannel just destroying no rolls dude it's ugly i bet i gotta tell my family to get like the, a bag of rolls for me and then the rest, all the rest of the rolls can go to the rest of the family. But I gotta, I gotta have my rolls. And the the weird thing, like you mentioned, gumbo, which like is not, I wouldn't call it like a, it's obviously a very Louisiana. It's not a yeah, it's not a traditional Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving right. thing, but it's something that I think a lot of us here look forward mm-hmm. to this week. We we do a, we do a gumbo a lot of times. My family group text. I was asking like what I should bring, and I was like offering like a vegetable casserole or like a, a dessert or something, and they asked me to make uh, guacamole. What? Which is not. I mean, I I make a good. I'll make a mean guac. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie about it. But I was just not expecting a guacamole. My family's Thanksgiving, so extra. Um. Yeah. 
if you guys ever want a guac, give me a call. It's got a secret recipe passed down from generation to generation. Is this real? No, I just like guac. Just I'm, just good, I'm, just good at, I'm just good at guac. No, I mean, maybe a little bit, but I got my own, my own, my own flair to it. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week uh, with a recap of the A&M game and an even better recap of our Thanksgiving meals. Uh, courtesy of Mark and Jarrett. If you haven't followed him on Twitter, he's at Jarrett Roser, um, at Mark Clements225. And don't forget to follow all the 225 brands, facebook.com slash 225magazine, and on Instagram and Twitter at 225 Baton Rouge. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next week. <laughs>